0: Broadcasting live across the great state of Montana, powered by the Montana Electric Cooperative Association. Your Montana Electric Cooperative. They do much more than keep the lights on for you. This is Montana Talks with Aaron Flint. Day three of our live coverage from the SHOT Show, the world's biggest gun show and outdoor
1: gear show, really uh, is well here in Las Vegas, Nevada, at the Venetian Hotel and Casino. We got John Jackson, the Joker, from Twitter here sidekicking with us once again on this Friday for Montana Talks, but, you know, John, on Wednesday, it was Wednesday morning show. We were just wrapping up the show you saw Don Jr., Donald Trump Jr. down the hall. You snagged him. We, we got him down here today. We got to keep an eye out for Tom Gresham, the host of Gun Talk Radio, because I re- we, we've been hearing about some of the gear, some of the cool guns, but, but we want to hear about, man, what is the all the really cool new guns and gear that are here at the shop. show. So we, we got to catch up with Tom Gresham. I saw him on Wednesday, but just briefly we got to link up with him before we're done. But today, actually, we're we've are we got some of our best coverage yet coming up for you today because I got a chance to catch up with the Olympus Arms CEO that's investing $50 million into manufacturing their gun, which was best in show at last year's SHOT Show, and they're going to be building these guns in Helena, Montana. So that's going to be coming right up. So, uh, But, uh, man, we've been having an, an incredible time. Just over the last two days since yesterday's show, What's the coverage that's standing out to you? The, the biggest one was Mansoor. Um,
2: hearing about Mansoor's, Andy Mansoor's investment into Glendive. What was that? hundred Over $100 million? $125 million. That he's dollars. putting into Glendive, Montana. And for anybody out there listening who's you know, from other states, your know, owner's a fan. What that infusion of cash is into tiny little Glendive, Montana, and the amount of employment it's going to bring, jobs. And like he was talking about, the ripple effect across the other sectors, restaurants and,
1: and daycare and everything that goes into truckers, yeah. tr- shipping. That was the most impressive. Well, and what you get is if, it's just like what, what Lewistown, Montana kind of saw. You, you might get a speaker manufacturing that builds this over here. And then another manufacturer says, well, well, hey, I want to manufacture something out of Lewistown, Montana, too. And then there might be a guy down the road in Great Falls or, or up the road in, in Roy or Winifred that says, hey, I've got this little widget that, that works very well with yeah. what you're building there. Uh, so then they start a whole new business and start making good money based off of that. So, yeah, we're going to see that from every single one of these industries and others are going to want to attach to it. Uh, the incredible thing about, you know, Brickstool Defense is $125 million are investing into Glendive, Montana, into eastern Montana to build this ammo manufacturing facility. So this is a big player with big cash coming in. This Olympus arm story is also incredible for yet another reason. This isn't some big player coming from the national capital region, Washington, D.C. area. That This is a guy who was tooling around in his garage for the last 10 years to build a better gun, to build a better rifle because he was a sniper himself on active duty. He's still in the Montana National Guard and he and he's now leading the company that had the best-in-show gun at the shop show last year. He's going to describe that, that gun for you coming up right after this. It's the, it's the Vulcan Recoil-less rifle. Things freaking incredible. His is even more incredible. Powerful conversation with Olympus Arms CEO Michael Marino. Grew up on a ranch south of Butte. That's coming up next.
0: This is where Montana talks. Montana talks with Aaron Flint.
1: All right. Hey, guys, we're on the floor of the SHOT Show right now. I am at the Olympus Arms booth. They were best in show at the SHOT Show last year. Michael Marino is uh, not just the CEO, but he's the founder of Olympus Arms and uh, just made a major announcement, $50 million investment. Helena, Montana. uh, Mr. Marino, an honor to be here with you today. Thank you so much, Aaron. I appreciate it. It's a
3: great opportunity.
1: Uh, I don't know if you can say, but apparently there there were some pretty big-time folks uh, that are very important. Uh, in the gun industry,
3: especially for a company like yours. But I don't know if you can share who that was you were just talking to. I, I sure can. You know, it's we've been working pretty closely with Army DEVCOM. Uh, we've sold them three of our rifles. They've tested them. The results are just off the charts, quite literally. It didn't register on the chart how low the recoil was. Um, they talked to us about what we're doing next. We're building a grenade launcher for the Army, a 30-millimeter semi-automatic rifle. It's just incredible, so much fun. Uh, we also submitted to SOCOM to build them an extreme long-range sniper rifle, recoilless in three seven five ShayTAC and a new caliber we haven't unveiled yet. So we just have all kinds of opportunities in the future. And I designed this rifle for the military. I'm a career soldier myself, and I just we just need something better than the M4 and the M16 out there. And that's why I made this. You know what I
1: love about your store? I mean it was so incredible to hear this news from the governor. Fifty million dollar investment by Olympus Arms in Helena, Montana. Uh, manufacturing the gun that was the best-in-show last year at the SHOT Show. And, you know, when I hear that news, it's great news. It's great news for Helen. It's great news for Montana. And my assumption is, okay, this is some very wealthy guy from another state, some very successful business that is, that is graciously deciding to do this in Helena, Montana. It's actually even cooler than that. You're a guy who grew up, your wife was telling me, you grew up on a ranch south of Butte. That's right. You, you've you been career military. You were an active duty sniper. We, we probably crossed paths in the Montana National Guard from time to time. We were in various units, uh, the right. similar units. How incredible is it that a guy like you grew up on a ranch in Montana, playing with guns in the military, says, I got an idea. And then you do something with that idea.
3: You know, I appreciate that. And and I wish it was all a happy story, but I want to be honest with you. The last 10 years and even 15 years since I came up with this idea, that hasn't been easy. That's been the the walk through the desert with an empty canteen and just scraping together funds, working all night long. We're now coming out of the woods and now we're getting investors. You know, we people say that we bootstrapped it. We shoestringed it. I mean, we just drug ourselves through this thing and made it. And I owe it to my entire team, my co-inventor, my wife. She's the one that's raised our kids while I'm working downstairs, you know, trying to get this thing to work. So I love being on the, on the top of the hill, but, man, we can't forget the valley. That's incredible. And yeah, it almost makes it even sweeter. Right. Absolutely when you does. when you, when you
1: remember the hard work and the toil that it took to get to the top of that mountain.
3: You bet. Every time I see this rifle, it warms my heart because it's not just my work. It's my whole team, my family's work, all my investors, everybody who's contributed to this has made this incredible rifle, next-gen technology. The Army doesn't even know how valuable it's going to be for them in the future, but they're going to find out soon. Well,
1: and then I see your team members here, and I'm like, hey, I know that guy. Hey, I know that guy. We served together, and we went to ROTC together. So here you are, a, a Montana Dream, uh, helping others here
3: in Montana your fellow veterans take part in this dream as well absolutely you know I'm, I'm part of the skill bridge program myself and I invite anyone who wants to work in machining and manufacturing and invention to come down and do their skill bridge with me we're going to host military folks I've got soldiers who are my employees and also in my company in the military and we love it we're just pro-military pro-Montana pro-America describe this gun that you made
1: that was the best in show last year you talk about recoilless I was uh, uh, one of your guys was showing me video of this thing and he said imagine doing CQB with this imagine doing close quarters combat with this thing where you're just ping 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 and and it's it's not moving it's not it's not you know moving up and down and up and down as you try to regain composure to get your to get on
3: target. without that recoil, you can stay on target while you're engaging that target multiple times. It is incredible. It's a huge evolutionary leap in the firearm. Every time this has happened through history, people have had to learn how to use a new firearm. Recoil mitigation is no longer the thing that you're focusing on. Now you watch your round hit the target. And then you decide whether or not to shoot another round at that target or transition to another. If I shoot a paddle on a target, I can hit the paddle on one side and move to the other. I have to wait for that paddle to swing all the way around before I can pull the trigger again. That's how fast you stay on target. And like you said, I was a sniper. I was an infantryman, dismount. Oh, I was in Afghanistan in 02, Iraq 03, Iraq 06. We needed guns then. We needed guns that worked and guns that put the enemy down and allowed us to move on and, and save American lives. So that's what I made. I, you know, as you know, driving around in those Humvees in Iraq,
1: you have some great conversations with guys. There's some really tough days, but, man, there's a lot of smoking and joking and having just a good time with the boys while you, while you, you rove around, right? And there's a lot of good ideas that come up. Yeah. And, you, yeah, you can have a great idea. Man, what if we had a gun that could do this? How do you actually
3: take that idea and make it reality? You know, it's amazing. I I started off with the idea, and I, I was actually at sniper school, and I shot the M24, and I shot the Barrett side by side, and the Barrett had less recoil than the M24. And right then I said, wait a second, we're doing this wrong. I said, make me a recoilless rifle in 30 caliber, and give it to me as my battle rifle. And they said, it cannot be done. It's impossible. And I said, crap. I mean, there's no way if I can do it with a 50, I've got to be able to do it with a 30. And so move on in the in our history, in our future. Then we have a multi-caliber rifle that we were designing for survival. I want to be able to shoot any caliber that I pick up. And I came up with the idea based on some long recoil guns. The MG42, for example, was a big inspiration. Remington Model 8, Johnson 1941. The guns that are designed by the greats are the ones that inspired us. And so we started taking their ideas and miniaturizing them and putting them in a handheld platform. And it really just was... Working on it, thinking about it, dreaming about it, and eventually the idea, the actual inspiration of this design came to me, um, and then I had to make it work. So it's just an incremental, one step at a time, long ruck march through the desert, and then you get to the other side. That's just how it is. Let's it's hold it
1: remarkable. right there. Absolutely incredible. Let's hold it right there. A little bit left with Michael Marino from the Shot show floor.
0: Montana Talks. Montana Talks with Aaron Flint. All right. I, I definitely want to get John Jackson, the Joker, from Twitter. I
1: want to get his take on uh, just this powerful, powerful words that we're hearing uh, from Michael Marino. And, and I, I love the fact, man, he's on this mountaintop right now. And it, it's so easy for people to, to just look at it and say, oh, yeah, look at this guy. Good for him. He's making uh, the work. And, and, and I know there's small business owners and there's farmers and ranchers out there who, who, yeah, the, the rest of your town thinks, oh, yeah, that guy's really successful. Look at how good he's got it. Look at how easy she's got it. They don't, and, and, well, in a small town, they know the hard work that went into it, but, but they don't realize the the, the toil and the blood, the sweat and the tears and the, and the long hours that go into, you know, small businesses all across Montana and all across America. And that's what Michael Marino is talking about right now. So uh, but anyway, I want to get John Jackson's take just on the, the, the weaponry and the recoilless uh, rifle that that he's talking about, that Michael Marino is talking about here, because John's a retired federal law enforcement officer. So getting his law enforcement firearms background side of the, uh, side of it will be interesting as well. But first, uh, let's hear more of our conversation with Olympus Arms CEO, Michael Marino. It's remarkable. And your wife was telling me how you were kind of a gun geek. And you'd be out in your garage, you know, playing, tearing things apart, trying, you know, taking this tube and doing this and kind of being your own little manufacturing engineer. And that's how you started in the
3: early days. I I cringe to remember what I did. I'd buy a gun and I would grind it down and I would put it into aluminum that I bought from the hardware store. And I i was so unsafe i would never do that ever again but i had to because i had no money and i had no facility i had no opportunity to do it so i just did it with a grinder and a drill press and whatever i had a dremel tool you know and, and but that is what made the proof of concept that's what got other people's attention that's what built, started building the momentum but man it started with nothing it's absolutely incredible and and then just to be here and to be one of you know, uh,
1: one of the big deals at a show like this, uh, it, it's in, it's
3: insane, uh, probably more than a dream come true. It absolutely is. I'm actually afraid to wake up and be three years ago when the gun wasn't working. Um, so I'm really happy that that hasn't happened yet. It's incredible. You grew up on a ranch south of Butte. What do you tell a kid that might be listening on a, on a farm south of Scobie right now? To that young man, a young woman out there with an invention, hang on to that dream. Don't let education close off your ability to be creative don't let them tell you how it's done don't let them tell you what is not possible because i'm telling you i've done several things that are impossible right now and i hire people who do the impossible so keep dreaming and come and work for a company that values you so when you say don't let education get in the way meaning meaning you don't need all those fancy degrees I, i wish i was a degreed engineer but i might be better off not being one because if you go to college they tell you what's been done they don't let you discover it they tell you, they close off that part of your mind that's creative and they tell you one way to do it. And that's not what invention and innovation is about. Give someone a problem and let that supercomputer between your ears figure out the solution. Incredible
1: stuff. Michael Marino, Olympus Arms, an honor to chat with you and of course your wife. Thanks for her service. Thanks for yours. Thanks so much, Aaron, and thank you for your service as well. John Jackson. Man, that last part, I almost forgot. That was one of the best parts. I, I'm still here it, on Radio Row at the SHOT Show pumping my fist in the air with everything Michael Marino had to say right there. It's, it's amazing, too, to hear him talk
2: about. He said, yeah, and you, I've heard this a lot of times from actors and comedians, people like this, because they get accused of being, oh, you're an overnight sensation and they'll come right back and say yeah i'm an overnight sensation of 10 years <laughs> or 15 years like i've been doing this craft now for 12 years and i just hit
1: something that caught fire and i had to bartend for all those 10 years <laughs> yeah I was... and then still get up uh, six hours later to exactly. try to get that gig yeah good point good yeah. point from a, a weaponry standpoint The grenade launcher rifle that he's developing, the old 203, if you were a 203 gunner in the infantry, okay, so you're popping that grenade out of that 203 underneath your rifle. You're hoping to hit the general area where the enemy's at. He wants to build something where you put that grenade right on the target. Thunk, boom, right on the target where it needs to go. That's incredible. Oh, and, and if
2: they could, I have some experience with, with that that I, that I won't really go into. <laughs> it's <here. fire>. it's <laughs> fire. But, but the ability to um, make, make that work. And also, if he's listening, the ability to, if your rifle could have some way or with that round to take off the safety portion of it, to where it, it, it has to go so far before it'll arm itself, so, it'll, so it'll actually shorten, explode. Shorten the arming mechanism. Shorten the arming mechanism to where you, you know,
1: say out to 30 yards it would be effective. You could hit something at 30 yards and blow it up. But what you're telling me, John, is... You were too wimpy to throw the grenade 30 yards, so you need a gun to do it for you at a close distance.
2: I'm Not telling I'm you that I'm I'm that, that thing has been shot a few times and just landed <laughs> as a big old lump of lead yeah. rather,
0: rather than explode. Yeah. <laughs> because,
2: yes.
1: because the the range was too short for it to go off. Well, and you don't get, your hands are tied, tied up already. You don't have time for all that crazy stuff. All right. And then the other thing, the ability to do clo- CQB, close quarters, with uh, with this recoilless, where you can just boom, 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 and that that barrel, you physically see the end of that barrel just punch out, punch in, punch out, punch in it is handle. it is it is absorbing the shock instead of your shoulder absorbing the shock but it's also now your rifle isn't popping up and down and up and down and up and down because of all the action and so as a result you're just right on that target right on that target right on that target that is huge and what people
2: don't understand maybe with a lot of people that that haven't done a lot of that you think that that's that should be a function of how big and tough and strong you are you just hold that thing tight you can keep it all no you can't not with multiple multiple rounds going down after about that fourth fifth sixth Round. It doesn't matter
1: if you're Arnold. That thing is yeah. off target now. And, and you can do it to a certain extent, but at some point, everybody's going to look like oh, la,
0: la, 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 la. Oh, the guy's in you. Iraq,
1: just shooting into the sky. Full I mean, auto, <laughs> forget
2: it. It's you go- <laughs> know, <laughs> it's, it's I mean, you're you're not hitting
1: anything. Like yeah, that, that's yeah. right. Hey, let's jump into our next conversation. Travis has it ready to roll back in studio. Hey, this is so cool. We got Nate Kohana, uh, who is the CEO of Anthem Snacks. And we, we got a chance to talk about Anthem Snacks back when we did our Warriors and Quiet Waters Radiothon back before Christmas. Such a cool story. Veteran owned and operated. Bozeman, Montana. They make jerky. And I just tried some of this jerky. It's incredible stuff. But they are the official jerky of the UFC. For those of you who like MMA fights and, and mixed martial arts. Nate, it, it's an honor to see you in person. Thanks for uh, coming down and joining us at the SHOT Show.
4: No, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, when Nick made the introduction and then obviously Paige and everybody else that we have uh, friends in common, it was, it was awesome. You've been, you've been totally cool. Oh, well, so. well
1: thanks. Well, I, too, it's, you know, if you have a microphone, why wouldn't you use it for good? And as a veteran, it's so incredible to get a chance to talk about and help promote some incredible veteran-owned businesses that are out there. And and I've heard great things about you guys. You guys actually give a portion of your proceeds back to organizations like Warriors in Quiet Water. So not only are you creating jobs for your fellow veterans, you're also giving back to, to organizations that are supporting our veterans as well. Uh, it, it's a mandate for us. It's part of our mission of what we did.
4: I, I, I'm a wounded veteran, so I... I think there's so much value in what these uh, nonprofits do for our veterans. And when I came to Montana, it was just a natural fit. There's so many, you know, we have one of the highest per capita GDP or capita uh, veteran populations in the country. It's just got the natural backdrop, which is restorative in Montana. And I have the ability to meet with these charities. There's a lot of great charities out there. Often you just don't know what's going on. Some of them are in New York or Boston or in LA, and you can't really put the pieces together. They don't. It's hard for me to have an impact on what they do, But here in Montana, I know I can actually walk up to those charities. So we're in quiet water and Brian's doing an amazing job. They have empirical evidence showing what they do. Um, So not only do you understand where the dollar goes, but you can actually see it on the faces of the actual veterans. So it's a huge piece of what we do.
1: Yeah, because there's so many incredible veterans organizations, big and small, and it's so incredible. You guys will just take an idea and run with it. But you're right. Sometimes you don't know uh, who's who and which to support. But when when they're right there in your backyard, doing incredible things for our nation's veterans, not just the ones in Montana, but really all across the country, like Warriors in Quiet Waters. I see you got your Talons Reach Foundation hat on. Last year, I ran into Nick Jones. I'd never met him. I had my buddy, Steve Rast, who's a a Marine Corps veteran in Bozeman. He's always here at the SHOT Show. He said, you got to meet my friend, Nick Jones. I I had to set my microphone down because I was about in tears talking with Nick Jones. It's an
4: amazing story. It's an amazing story. And, uh, you know, we work, with, we work with Nick over at Talent Reach. They're doing a great job. We do, and you know, another piece of what we do, other than just giving money back, um, we work with, you know, Town Pump has been a great partner of us. And so what we were able to do is actually convince Town Pump, hey, more than just running like a dollar off promotion for your jerky, let's do something that actually benefits one of the charities. So we did something with them where every bag sold, uh, a, one of our larger bags, $8 goes back to Big Sky Bravery, and $4 wow. from us and $4 match from Town Pump. And we really wanted to use that as a blueprint in our backyard to say, hey, listen, Show the consumer, right, that you actually not only work and support a veteran-owned business, which is a small business owner, um, but more importantly, you actually support uh, nonprofits that are, you know, a Montana veteran-owned organization. And so that blueprint we're hoping to do with Talon's Reach with Warriors of Quiet Water, start in Montana, and then really grow that nationwide where we show look, profits with purpose uh, matters to us. But I want to show you it's good for business for what you guys do. That's right. You know?
1: Well, and the the Kennelly family out of Butte with Town Pump, such a very generous uh, family uh, over the years. They've supported the Highway Patrol and their efforts and and so much more. So, Anthem Snacks, you're now the official jerky of the UFC. How fun is it just? Cause, cause you're like you're like a VIP now, and I, I just want to go to a UFC fight one you of You can come days. with us, yeah. I, I, absolutely. I, I, all right, I'm a hundred percent. Hundred percent. Oh man, let's do that. Because I yeah. was, in fact, uh, the Joker from Twitter. He's not here right now, but uh, he's a big UFC fan. He's a retired federal uh, agent, and so I was like, man, we got to figure out how to come to Vegas and do a show from the UFC one of these days. Hundred percent. There's a, there's a lot of Montana connections in the UFC. There's a lot of Montana connections. I'm trying to make even more. I'm trying to introduce more brands.
4: I I just think it's a natural fit for you know out of all those organization sports organizations besides being the fastest growing everything I just think the values align Um, and I I really mean it from like the fighters who I respect so much and the discipline they put in and the hard work Uh, there's a lot in common with you know my background and and, and people of kind of my cohort coming out of GWAT with uh, just the discipline and and the hard work he goes into you know anything the operators do and just really any any veteran
1: so, well, man, I, I don't let's I hold it right there. Dollars. Hold it right there. More with uh, Anthem Snacks, uh, CEO and founder. He's a Green Beret veteran, uh, Nate Kahana. I asked him, so where did you get your beef from? And that led to a very interesting background about how he first moved to Billings because they wanted to get, set up some meat processing, which may still be in the
5: works. So stand by. This is where Montana talks at with Lane Nordler. USDA has announced it's investing $207 million in renewable energy and domestic fertilizer projects to lower input costs and create more opportunities for farmers and ranchers in rural America. Many of the projects are being funded through President Biden's Inflation Reduction Act, which has a large focus on combating climate issues. Are you concerned about the impact government policies could have on your
0: cattle business? One way to make your voice heard in Washington is by joining NCBA. When you join, you'll be part of the nation's oldest and largest national cattle industry organization that has a professional team working in Washington, D.C. on issues that matter to cattle-producing families nationwide. Don't stay on the sidelines. Make your voice heard by joining NCBA today at the website, ncba.org.
5: Well, Case IH, a global leader in ag equipment, is now recognized as a 2023 Good Design Award winner for the Formal 75C Electric and Steiger 715 Quadrac Tractors. The award, presented by the Chicago Anthem, showcases global industrial innovation in cutting-edge graphical design. Another headline Agoro Carbon Alliance has announced the company hit a significant milestone of 2 million acres enrolled in sustainable agricultural practices across the U.S. These acres are conservatively estimated to sequester more than 7.5 million tons of carbon over the contract periods.
0: This is where Montana talks. Montana Talks with Aaron Flint.
1: All right, let's jump right back into it. More of our conversation with Anthem Snacks CEO and Green Beret veteran Nate Kahana. It doesn't matter where I was at, if I was in Bahrain or if I was in Afghanistan or if it was in Iraq or if I was in Djibouti. Man, at 4 o'clock in the morning when that UFC fight is live. Everybody. Everybody's Everybody. up. Everybody's up. Everybody. And even the Filipinos. They're there for the Pacquiao fight, but they're for, there for the UFC as well. You know? 100%. And so, yes, yeah, so you, you know how big of a deal this is for veterans in particular. And oh, that, that yeah. warrior ethos uh, is, it's 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 important for this country for the fight for freedom domestically as well that we develop that warrior ethos and that we celebrate that warrior ethos
4: yeah i think that's the part that resonated so so well with us right it's like where are the future warriors going to come from that actually defend all the hard work that was put in the blood sweat um from the previous generations and you know there's a lot going on politically uh and i don't get caught up in that so much as you know who's going to carry that mantle right and i think we should celebrate that right i think that word ethos is what's important to us it's what makes us america uh we should we should be proud of that
1: yeah so uh, your background so you were in third special forces group can you can you talk about like what your specialty was what did you do as a as a green beret as a special some people might even you know they know that green berets are cool that they're badass but they don't know exactly what a green beret actually does
4: yeah so uh You know, to be honest, I I was one of those people, outside of watching a Rambo movie, it wasn't, like, on my list of things to do necessarily. Um, I just grew up, it it just happened to be, you know, when 9-11 happened, and, like, every American, you wanted to do something. Um, So I kind of went down this path. I spent my time in 3rd Special Forces Group. Green Braids do a lot of everything. Uh, Jack of all trades, master of none, and then from there, you can specialize and do everything. I was 18 Bravo, which was on the the weapons side. Oh, yeah. Yeah. so and you could be running a gun, gun company, not a jerky <laughs> yeah. company. I don't, I don't. know. I think after after coming here, you get humbled pretty quickly. <laughs> you get humbled pretty quickly. But uh, and then I and then on the team itself, I was uh, so we were on the I was on the Halo team, so we did a lot of military free fall jumps and whatnot. And then my thing was I was a advanced special operations, so we ran the intel side of it. So oh, all yeah. the targeting that came with that, you really worked on uh, whether it's human side, SIGINT side, all that stuff, putting the target packages together um, with your eighteen fox and. And then that got you outside the wire. That got you the resources you need, which you know the probability of actually doing the mission uh, greatly went up.
1: See, I think the eighteen fox, based on uh, I am not as familiar with it as you are, of course, but I, that to me is like one of the coolest jobs in the military. I think because you are still a green beret doing all the cool green beret stuff, but then you are you are developing the next target list and you are and and well, not just target list. I mean, just uh, just anything. information, just right? everything. Yeah? Because you do you
4: do a lot. Like again, not everything is a door kicking operation. There is a lot of you know. There's a lot that goes in there because you're, you're behind enemy lines for a long period of time. Um, so you have to cultivate those relationships. You have to get the intel, um, which is not on a day-in, day-out basis going to lead to, you know, kicking in the door necessarily and getting a bad guy.
1: Yeah, and language capability is key because in theory you're going into you're, – you're getting dropped into someplace and in raising an army. Yeah. Uh, and you develop that personal relationship with those locals on the ground. And if you can't speak the language, it's, how are you going to do it? Yeah, that, that,
4: that, that really is the part I didn't understand the force multiplier effect, whether it's on the training side, whether it's, you know, like you said, if you're actually building, building a force that, that's an indigenous force that's actually going to go out there and let a, you know, nine to 12 person ODA team, you know, team really, there's, there's not a lot you could do with nine to 12 people by themselves. But if you have an indigenous force behind you, th- there's
1: a lot you could do. It's funny you talk about. I mean, you were the weapons sergeant, right, uh, on on an A team, and and yet you talk about being humbled when you come to the shot show with the gun knowledge in this room. Because yeah, like I, my buddy EJ Redding is probably one of the fastest shooters. He's he's in Helena. If EJ was walking in right now, he'd look like this big big boy, tall cowboy with the handlebar mustache twisted at the ends, with his cowboy hat on. And he is one of the fastest competitive shooters, as I understand it, out there. I mean, to where, like, to where, like, if we all went to the to, to get a beverage later tonight, and yeah. we were hanging out with e- EJ's buddies, we'd be like, "Holy crap, who are these guys?" Oh, I'm sure. And and they're all like barrel-chested freedom fighters, and they're big, big, big boy cowboy hat, you know, <laughs> twisted mustache EJ. But but that's because these guys who grew up and, and their life their lives are guns. Guns have been fun to them their entire lives. Whereas for some of us who, you know, went through infantry training, it's like, oh, great. we got to go back to the range. Come on. And, and now it's getting to be fun again. Yeah. You
4: know? No, I'm in the same boat. When I showed up, I was uh, I was shocked, you know, A, how many people come from rural America that end up in the military and the foundation they grew up with versus what most of us grew up with, you know, on just the hunting side, touching guns, being, it's, it's completely different. Right. And then you learn that. And to your point, I showed up first. It was like, oh, range day and everything. And then you come around, it becomes fun. And then these guys have been doing it their whole life. And then on the long-range stuff, there's just certain things that uh, it would take you a lifetime to
1: learn. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's just crazy. That's why I just feel so humbled to be here because it's like, man, I've got listeners who who know a million more things about guns than I do and they deserve to be in this room. But but the benefit of having a radio show is you get to go to places you otherwise might not be able to go to and, and you get to take people with you. That's, the, that's part of the fun and get to hear stories like yours. So how did you start Anthem Snacks and how do you build, how do you make your jerky oh, and uh, how's, it, how's it been starting your own business? It's
4: been crazy. Um, so I had, I had a friend who you actually met, Patrick. Um, he actually—his dad was out here looking for a second house. We, we were looking to start a business together anyway. We were both in Chicago at the time. And he, his dad was looking for a second house. And he happened to come across a, a, a broker who was looking to put a deal together for three meat processing plants. And so he asked me, hey, do you have any interest in doing this? And at the time, I was living in Chicago, but I was, I was also in tech in San Francisco. And I was just over the whole thing. Coming from the military, transitioning to going into tech— uh, it is a different, a different space. There's a lot of group think going on. It, it's just a lot. It, and I grew up in Texas, so it just wasn't necessarily for me. I kind of got that dose. It but was, I was like
1: being stuck at the kids' table, probably a little bit too, right? Yeah. yeah.
4: And yeah. so I, uh, I wanted to do something um, a little bit more tangible, work with people that actually, you know, roll their sleeves up and, and actually, you know, work with their hands. And so, uh, so we met with these families. There were three families that own three different plants. We met with them, and he asked me, "Do you have any interest in doing this?" And I was like. I have zero experience in the meat industry. Like, what what am I going to bring to the table other than maybe being an investor? Um, but then you start to meet with the families, and you just kind of fall in love with what they're doing. And I figured I could tell their story, and that's what we were going to kind of export. We were going to, like, tell their story. All the way down, there was a lot going on with deforestation, and they were called climate change and all this stuff. And we were like, yeah, but there's all this meat in America, you know, all these cattle in America from hardworking Americans— you know, all we have to do is tell their story, and there's a market for that. Oh yeah. And so, but in that process, the deal was too hard to put together. That the families, the next generation didn't want to take over for them. Um, the processing plants were a little bit older and whatnot. So there was a lot going on. So I ended up kind of walking away from that. But in the process, I went to some meat conventions, meat processing convention. I just learned a bunch, and we fell in love with Montana. And my wife was up here, and we were like, I think that the thing I could do to, to run a meat processing plant, you you start to figure out you've got to sell everything off that animal, and there's too much I don't know. What I could, But in the process of the research and everything else, I figured, you know what I could probably do is meat snacks. That I could probably do. And instead of their story, I can kind of make it my story. And what I could do is compound over time. So everything I learned, I could just get better and better and better at doing this one thing versus, you know, selling everything on the animal, the cuts down to the dog treats. And so I just focused on that. Um, And so we went down that path. We we launched Jerky uh, and we're going to be launching meat sticks here, all beef sticks here shortly um, in the next month or two.
1: That's very cool. Yeah, well, I think about it too. What were some of the best things to get in the care package, or if you the had best. a chance to uh, jerky? Yeah. Because you throw that in a cargo pocket, and whether you're hiking around the mountains of eastern Afghanistan or or driving down an MSR in Iraq, you know you whip out a you know a couple pieces of jerky and you get protein and, and it's a good tra- it's a good snack and uh, a lot better than than some other options. Out For there. sure, and we
4: we all love jerky. I grew up. The problem was. The the, the care package you get would get some, you know, some pretty bad jerky out there. And I was like, and you're looking at you're like, wait a minute. Yeah, I'm like, okay, so a couple, a couple of big players own the market. They don't make a very good product. Personally, I don't, you know, I don't think there's any story there that resonates with most Americans. And that's kind of where I was like, I think we could, you know, we could do this. But we kicked off. It was June of 2020. As you can imagine, during COVID, no buyers wanted to talk to me. We didn't have any product. You know, we didn't have any marketing. So it was, it was a little challenging. But like anything with adversity and everything, you just kind of take one step front of the next and you uh you just kind of go from there and so
1: where do you get your beef from uh regionally yeah yeah, because i know we're we're trying to to build more and more meat processing in montana uh and and that's a big undertaking because it's a huge undertaking big meat packing firms and and so but there's a lot of people that are really trying you know ag organizations that are trying to totally flip that dynamic on its head but it takes time but in the meantime regionally sourced beef yeah because
4: like you said, this is, this is dominated by four big players in the, in the co-packing space. A lot of people, and there's no country of origin labeling that's going on. So a lot of people don't even realize they're eating meat that's either coming from Canada, Mexico, or Brazil. Even the big push on grass-fed, most of that's from Australia. There's only like 3% coming from the U.S. So the, the, the thing I learned in the process of, of you know, um, possibly going on with those three meat processors and investing in them, we talked to everyone at the state level. It's really hard to keep it all in Montana. You, even if you build a state-of-the-art processing facility they don't have the kill they don't have the kill capacity they don't have the feedlots and so it was actually cheaper to send the cattle to kansas than to bring the grain you know to the actual cattle and so you have to educate a market on what montana beef would be which is already expensive and hard and then you don't know if you have enough supply so for me it was important just keep it in the region to start let's build a brand so i know i can scale and then over time um as you create a brand in all right right there
1: back from the shot show right
0: Broadcasting live across the great state of Montana, powered by the Montana Electric Cooperative Association, your Montana Electric Cooperative. They do much more than keep the lights on for you. This is Montana Talks with Aaron Flint. Well, I know the the people who love guns, your ears perked up earlier.
1: I know the people, you know, our fellow veterans out there, your ears have been uh, perked all, all week long. But hey, farmers and ranchers who are usually a combination of uh, gun nuts and veterans as well—I know your ears are definitely perking up right now. So let's go back uh, here quickly to Nate Kohana, the CEO of Anthem Snacks. It's really
4: hard to keep it all in Montana. You, even if you build a state-of-the-art processing facility, they don't have the kill. They don't have the kill capacity. They don't have the feedlots, and so it's actually cheaper to send the cattle to Kansas than to bring the grain you know, to the actual cattle. And so you have to educate a market on what Montana beef would be, which is already expensive and hard. And then you don't know if you have enough supply. So for me, it was important just keep it in the region to start. Let's build a brand. So I know I can scale. And then over time, um, as you create a brand in Montana that everyone's proud of, then make the capital investment, and then you can attract capital to come in here, and then build a processing facility.
1: I really can't wait to see where we are in another five, ten years, because this is because there's so many key players. I mean, Turk Stovall and Tim Sheehy, yep. what they're doing with Little Belt Cattle Company, Turk Stovall's family ranch, with the with the feedlot in, in in Shepherd, Montana, to try to build out that capacity in the Montana stock roads to their foundation, Absolutely. trying to build out that program and and more meat processing programs at Miles Community College or Miles City. It's going to be really interesting to see what can really happen in five to ten years.
4: For sure. And I, I think even just me, it, it's been amazing here. You meet other Montana companies. You just start connecting the dots and you start realizing it's a, it's, it's a, it's a massive undertaking. But like you said, Little Bell, everyone, um, I think we can all play our part. And I think once it, this ecosystem is built, I think the, the rising tide is going to lift all boats, and it's going to work for everybody, down to the actual rancher.
1: Do you miss being in the Special Forces?
4: You know, there's, there's, there's a lot of times I do. There's a lot of times I do. I mean, I think, I think working the gap between when I got out to where I am right now, there was, there was something missing on the, the purpose and the fulfillment side of waking up every day and just feeling like you're contributing, you're doing something that that aligns with your values. This is as close as I'm getting since leaving to doing that. I'm in Montana you're in the outdoors. If you want to go to the range, you can go to the range. If you want to do outdoor activities, you could do that. And I'm still working with a lot of people in the veteran or military space, which, you know, brings me actual joy. Um, and then I get to contribute and give back, and it's, it's, it's the closest I've been. So I actually wake up every day, I feel good about what we're doing.
1: It's, it's, incredible. it's incredible to me because before Bozeman really, really blew up the way it's kind of blown up in, in recent years here, there was a ton of veteran entrepreneurs who were already – just it was an incredible network we get together and have you know vet togethers at a local brewery and then steve rast and bunker labs were getting things going and it was just so, so incredible that people don't you know people people like to joke about bozeman and bozangeles yeah. and 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 all the trustafarians that trustafarians fly in and out from la or or these other places but in reality, there are some incredible American patriots that not only lived and grew up in, in Bozeman, but there's, there's Texans like you on the other end of the cattle drive that now call it home and, and veterans and so many incredible veteran entrepreneurs as well.
4: Oh, it's been amazing. So I lived in Billings for two years. So I got to see that side of it. We worked our way over to Bozeman. I've always said I think veterans, um, it's just an underutilized asset that's out there. That can contribute to in so many ways and i think you're getting someone entrepreneurship for veterans is such a clear path to me because you 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 know how to deal with adversity you know how to kind of you know adjust call the frago do whatever you need to do and i think what you have is you have people that are willing to, willing to take risk because at the end of the day you're not it's not the same risk you were doing when you were in you're not risking your life right so at the end of the day you're talking about some financial stuff um and so there's plenty of people out in uh, in montana in bozeman it's a, it's, a huge, uh, it's a huge opportunity for the state. I think, it's, I think it's just a natural fit for veterans.
1: Nate Cahana. Anyway, great to catch a, up there. We'll, we'll cut in there. Yeah, great to catch up with the Nate Cahana, uh the official jerky of the UFC. And uh, their bourbon-flavored jerky, by the way, is using Willie's Distillery Bourbon at Annis, Montana. So uh, very cool there. John Jackson, the Joker from Twitter. Man, you know, we're wrapping up our one-hour statewide show. We've got hours and hours of extra conversation Later this weekend, go download uh, the extra audio on our Montana Talks app because we caught up with so many incredible people. But the big, the real big story today, John, is uh, this invasion on our southern border. Twenty-five Republican governors, including Montana Governor Gene Forte, standing with Texas uh, to fight back right now. You and I had a very interesting conversation, one of those uh, other extra conversations with the Indiana Attorney General. He talked about how they, he was on the southern border and they stopped a freight train and the, the illegals started like like cockroaches just scurrying out into the tree line to escape detection. That shows you who's really trying to get into this country. Well, President Trump came out uh, yesterday afternoon on
2: Truth Social and is encouraging all of those 25 governors to deploy their National Guard down to Texas to help out Abbott and secure that border. And now that you've got all of them together and they realize that President Trump is going to be the nominee, his as, as these months progress, his word and his suggestions are going to carry
1: more and more weight. And I know we've had Montana troops on the border. Uh, the question is, how much? And 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 now, could they? How significant of a show of force, really? Could they help provide if all these states do just that? It's a yeah. That's that's going to be the big story. We're going to have to follow up on this this coming week ahead. Deputize them in some way
2: and allow them to enforce the state law of texas trespass whatever they come up with and start arresting these people not just turning them away if you cross the united states you are
1: going to get detained and arrested if joe biden and john tester refused to to, to secure this country or even worse they actually open up the floodgates to let them in then dang it these governors uh should absolutely that's that's the message all right Uh, hey uh, john jackson thanks for sidekicking with us all week long here i mentioned steve rash this great veteran entrepreneur out of bozeman montana he just sat down i'm gonna chat with him and we'll save that for you next week live from the shot show day three